Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. Understand your moment. Can you trust your intuition when your career path diminishes or diverges? And what is your snooze button really telling you? I'm joined today by executive coach Randy Roberts. After more than 30 years in pharmaceuticals and working with many talented executive coaches, she chose coaching as her second career. She's passionate about helping people succeed. She calls herself a hippie with an Ivy League education. She earned a BA in sociology from San Diego State University and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. She is certified by the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching and accredited by the International Coach Federation. She's been married for 32 years and loves to hike, kayak, and explore. Welcome, Randy, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thanks, Christine. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, me too. Me too. So we were talking uh, just just now before we uh, went live here, and you were spending some time up in the Adirondacks. Tell me about that this summer. Yeah, that's my happy place. People sort of have, there's something about water that does it for me, and it's it's a lake in the mountains, which, you know, and this particular place up in the Adirondacks is We've been vacationing in that area for since my daughter was a baby, so 27 years, and you know, just with the people that absolutely recharge my batteries. So yeah, I just got back last night, so feeling really good, and um, it's just my favorite place to be in the summer. Oh, I, I love it. We have a lake place too, and it is absolutely a happy place. It's it's a really cool small lake in southern Maine, and. You really you can't put a boat on it unless you live on it. So it's kind of quiet, which is nice. And then at one end, there's a fish ladder where the fish come, you know, through this small river up into the lake every year. So there's always these counting going on. And so we bring the kids down to do our hour of counting all the fish, you know, jumping over the ladder. And you know this lake is teeming with fish. And so we've got friends that fish that come visit. We fish a little bit, but this year has been spectacular like I just sit on the dock and these like schools of fish are like flying out of the water like wow <laughs> I'm like what are they doing there so I don't know if this year we've had so much rain like it's just been such a good year for the fish I have no idea but I have never seen the type of like it looks like the uh, lake is boiling with you know kind of fish you know flying out of it so it's been really fun I that's what I love about lakes is like it's just alive. Like yeah. there's just so many things to, to experience yeah. while you're there. And late, like spending time up there in the family, lake life is different just in terms of the boating and how you get around and, and kind of the mentality you kind of have to experience it. I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, I am too. I am too. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I am um, really looking forward to our listeners getting to know you. So Start us off with a story. Um, tell us something that has really been pivotal in the passion that you've had in your career. Yeah. I think there are a couple of pivotal moments in my career that I define as what's true for me moments. 
other people might say it was an ultimatum. It didn't feel that way at all. It felt like going inward, trusting my instincts and knowing it was going to take me in the right place. And so, and, and you kind of don't put to get, put them together as a category until they stack up a little bit. But one that is so top of mind for me from early in my career, I remember I was head of sales training for a pharma company and, and loved what I was doing, but knew I wanted to do more and knew I needed to sort of change my way of thinking to get more integrally involved in the business. And so I wanted to get an MBA. And so I got the senior management of my company to sponsor me for a top tier program. I wasn't even sure I could get in, let alone do the work. And I was so excited when that happened. I got accepted. I was ready to go. And in between the time I was accepted and the program started, there was a change in senior management. And I will never forget the orientation program was supposed to start on a Sunday. And this is a big, expensive executive MBA program. The orientation program was supposed to start on a Sunday. On Saturday night at home, I got a call from one of the senior leaders in the company. And this is before cell phones and people called each other at home and things like this. So this was like a big deal. And I remember him saying to me, we're so excited for you. We're happy for you to have the opportunity, but there's a lot of changes happening in the company and you're going to be really busy this coming year. What if we asked you to wait a year to start your program? And in that moment, like my brain exploded because he was asking the question. He wasn't asking the question. He was asking what would happen if he asked the question. He was shaking up my world for something that I knew if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity right now, a lot of things could change in a year. And just instinctively, I took a deep breath. I didn't answer in the, you know, immediately. I let myself take a deep breath and think. And then I just went on instinct and said, well, I would hate to have to be in a position to say that I have this commitment in writing. He was asking me a hypothetical. I was serving him back a hypothetical in just an instinctive but respectful way. And his response was, well, congratulations. We'll do everything we can to support you. You know, best of luck with your orientation kind of thing. And I'm not sure I realized how big a moment it was in that moment. But really what it taught me was to trust my instincts, to stand up for what I knew was important and what was right for me, and to do it in a, in a respectful way. And this may seem like a small thing, to state what was true and then stop talking. Because sometimes we can get ourselves to the right point and then sort of buy it back. So it just like looking back in that moment so long ago has served me well in a lot of ways. Have you ever had a follow-up question or a follow-up conversation with him about that moment? Did you guys talk about it later? Wow, that's so interesting. No. And I guess my thinking is this was a pivotal moment for me. It was just a moment for him. It was something he had to do. He probably didn't really want to do. It would be interesting at this point. I don't even know if he would remember who I was, let alone that moment. Right. But what was such a memory, a place mark for me, probably meant nothing to him. I wonder about that because it's interesting as you tell the story, I wonder if, because he pivoted so quickly, you know, like he didn't ask the question, like you said, he, he asked to ask the question, right. And then supported you at the end, right. You know, basically said, yeah, get going on it. I wonder if it was more of a pivotal moment for him where he was asked to do something 
he didn't want to do it because he asked to ask the question. And then, you know, I, I wonder if it changed the way that he would ask future questions. You know, it's interesting that you're asking me this. I don't know if I've ever for a moment thought about it from his perspective, but I know I've thought a lot about it from my perspective. So interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think maybe because you're telling me the story, so I'm putting myself in, in the other person's shoes. And I'm thinking about the times where I've been asked by senior management to lay off somebody, mm -hmm. to change the you know career trajectory of somebody that I had been supporting or mentoring. You know, I think about the times where I agreed and did what I needed to do to, you know, tow the company line in those times that I felt like the battle was worth the battle. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if he had to go back and report to anybody or have the conversation and say, you know, I just, I, I wonder what it did to him. And I wonder if it was more impactful than you might think. It's, I'm, I'm like fascinated by this because, <laughs> uh, because thinking about it as, you know, myself as leader, have a couple of pivotal moments I've thought of that way too. And I wish I would have been in a position to handle it differently, but your, your hands are kind of tied. Really interesting. Yes. Yes, it is. But I also love how you took the breath, right? How you took a look at what you have in front of you, what the opportunity you have in front of you and how you could help him pivot to where you needed him to be. My son and I, we volunteer at this um, hotel here in Maine where there's a number of families that are asylum seekers from Angola that live there. And so we come in and work with the middle school students there and help with English and do a lot of fun and, and things like that. But one of the things we were talking about was difference in culture in fighting is, you know, when confronted with something that's upsetting, going immediately to sort of physical response and how that can be cultural. Mm -hmm. And my son was having this great conversation with them about the perceived title that these children will receive if that's how they go into all of their moments of tension or crisis is to, to get physical right away and really discouraging them as, as that being their method of dealing with conflict. And I really just juxtaposition that with what you just said, with your ability to take a breath, you didn't you know, cry out. You didn't start to complain. You didn't, you know, say, Hey, wait, you know, you've already done this. We've already made this decision, you know, like I can send you this. And you instead ask a question back. And, and I just feel like there's such wisdom at your young age of figuring that piece out. And have you reflected on that over the years? Yeah, very much. And, and I think, you know, it just really goes to kind of the way I started that story, which is, what was true for me, what I knew was right, what I was not willing to compromise on. If push had come to shove, I might've walked away from the job, even though that was my conduit to the, I probably would have looked to leave the job, but it was just true for me. I knew what the opportunity was. I knew how hard I had worked just to open that door. And I wasn't willing to let it go based on some guy who just showed up in the office kind of thing. So yeah, it just taught me a lot about trusting my instincts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that opportunity, and I love how you started it too, with you knew that your thinking needed to change and then laying all these steps out. And then the fact that he comes to you with things are going to be busy here. So therefore, you know, we're, we're, 
we're contemplating, you know, pulling this opportunity from you, not because it's good for you, but because it may be good for some of us that don't want to have to do the work that will be required. So I love the introspection of the truth for you never changed, right? The, the truth of what you needed, how you went about it, and how you lined it up. Um, and it was just sort of tapping into that truth to, to get to your answer. Yep. That's, that was exactly what it was in that moment. Yes. It's, it has served me well. So help define this for us. What has this taught you as you've brought your career from an executive in pharma into being an executive coach for professionals? Like define what this moment really turned into for a career for you. I think what it really did was start to build a foundation for me because this was early in my career. It started to build a foundation that my leadership instincts were good, that I could trust them. And that that was important because the kind of career I wanted to build and in fact did build in pharma was dependent on me making a thousand decisions a day with never enough time to consider absolutely everything I needed to, almost never. And so having those instincts and having the confidence to trust them, I think served me really well. And sometimes that decision was, wait a minute, we're not ready to make a decision. We've got to line these things up. We've got to align these people. We've got to make these things happen. But even having the confidence to put the brakes on and make sure that the right things were happening, I think that has served me really well. Because, you know, in my my pharma career was 30 years. I started as a sales rep and worked my way up through three different big pharma companies. My dream job I finally got, which was running a billion dollar business in the U.S. market doing all the things to bridge sales and marketing, really that focus on all things commercial was my dream. And I don't know that I could have accomplished those things and succeeded at them had I not had those early lessons in trusting my instincts. We really are so good in general, but for women in particular, we're so good at getting in our own way that I think sometimes those early lessons of how to stand up for yourself, how to be that advocate you need to be as a leader, really lay that foundation. I think that was true for me. And in order to stay in a career for that long and to have a goal and to achieve it, there's got to be a fire, right? There's got to be a passion. So what was that passion and, and has it changed as you moved into this second career of yours or is it familiar throughout your entire yeah, it, uh, career? What a great question about this shift. So my passion is very clear to me and it has stayed consistent, but it looks and feels a little bit different. So what it is for me, and this may sound a little trite, I mean it to my core. I need to know that my work makes a difference. I need to know that I'm doing some good while I'm doing well, because both things are very important to me. And so that's why I loved pharma so much, because it, I mean, it was my home for 30 years. I know that that industry does good. The, the end result of what that industry produces improves health outcomes, improves or extends lives, just makes people's lives better. Now, I, I happen to think there are some better ways to do it even, and hopefully the industry will get there. But it really is a place where I knew I was doing some good and I was doing well. So it just was a place where I could feel comfortable, could feel engaged, could feel passionate and could succeed until that changed. And then I had to make a change. And it felt like 
you and I have talked a little bit about this. Every day for 30 years, I was jumping out of bed before the alarm. I was one of those crazy people that was as excited Monday morning as I was Friday afternoon because I just loved what I was doing. I loved who I was working with. I loved everything, well, almost everything about it. And then one day, I all of a sudden, it felt like one day, I all of a sudden wasn't jumping out of bed anymore. And I was starting to hit the snooze button and not leap off to work it with the same level of excitement. And it took me a little while to figure out what that was. And it was, I was too far away from the doing good piece. I had gotten so high up in such a big hierarchical complex organization that I was spending all my time aligning resources, getting people's buy-in on things, making sure that my team had what they needed to succeed. I was way too far away from the patient and the good that we did. And so I had to really step back and reevaluate what did that mean? And so now, you know, I've gone through a lot of different steps to get here. Now I run my own business. I have for five years. I'm doing very well at this. And what it means to do some good looks different, but it's still what gets me up in the morning. Now the good I do is helping other people achieve their goals, but it's still the doing good while I'm doing well piece. You know, my business. I'm very proud that my business supports my family and I, even though I did well in my first career, I don't need it to. The fact that it does says something to me. It's a sign of accomplishment beyond. It's never just the money, but that really says something to me that now in a different way, I'm doing some good while I'm doing well. So that was a lot of words, but did, did I answer your question? Absolutely. And what really harkens to mind for me is that you were very successful in diagnosing the snooze button yeah. into what it really meant for your career. So let, let's say that you were your client now and she comes to you with, I'm hitting the snooze button. Um, and you are diagnosing to this point of, you know, you're feeling disconnected with the kind of work that you do. Are you having her jump right away to a, you know, a complete pivot in the career or what are the steps to really self-diagnosing when that snooze button enters into your morning routine? Great question. The first thing is I always remember my own experience and I remember how scary it felt to go from feeling so excited about what I was doing to all of a sudden losing that. And, and sort of like the moment of even admitting to yourself that something has changed and that fear of, can I ever get it back? So I never forget that because that's very often what my clients are experiencing. And when they come to me, very often where we need to start is to identify what's the problem, because it may feel amorphous. It may just feel like, like what I call a career itch. Like you're not sure exactly what the problem is, but you know, there is one. And so oftentimes where we start is just digging into what's still working, what used to be working that isn't working again. And when we, and I actually have a tool that's available on my website for anyone who may be relating to this called a career satisfaction assessment, where you can walk yourself through that process, or I have a, a workshop, I can walk you through it too. But that's the place to start. And, and the reason that I think that is so important, Christine, is you have to make sure you're fixing the right problem. Otherwise, I guarantee you, wherever you go, you take yourself and potentially the problem with you. 
So figuring out what it is that isn't right anymore is so important. And at the same time, you're going to figure out what is still working. So you know to protect it and to, you know, to fertilize it and make sure that it continues to work for you. I think that's really critical. Oh, that is critical. That was so good. I was jotting down notes as we were talking. And we'll make sure that we put a link to the career satisfaction assessment um, into the show notes. So folks that have Great. That- yeah, that's available free for anybody who wants it. I would love for people to have access to that. Excellent. And I think that's so important. I think sometimes we can get kind of up in our head about, you know, what is wrong and that we need to flee what's not working as opposed to moving toward what is. And I think that distinction of not bringing the problem with you, the next place you land is so important and, and does require a lot of introspection. Yeah. I imagine. And I, I think even the process of looking through it is helpful. You know, if you think back to that moment that I described when I didn't respond right away to this, this scary question, this guy asked me or tried to ask me, and I took a deep breath and gave my, myself a moment to speak the process of trying to figure out what's wrong is almost like that moment to give yourself a chance to think because you know you just described our our instinct is to flee i would say if you're under stress if something at work has changed for you it's almost like a biological reaction to stress like you're feeling threatened in a way that you can't really describe and so your response is either flee or freeze it's biological because you're looking to protect yourself and neither one of those reactions is going to serve you with making the best decision. And so going through the process of breathing and thinking about what it is that's the problem that needs to be fixed gives you that moment to get out of that biological reaction and recognize you can take control from a position of power if you figure out what the issue is. And I recommend working with someone else on that problem. And Look, I'm a huge believer in coaching, not because I am a coach. That actually is why I'm a coach, but it doesn't just have to be a coach, but get out of your own head and talk it through with somebody so that you can make sure you're, you're talking it out. You think it through in a different way. When you do that, you can get someone else's perspective on it make sure you're seeing all the things again, to feel confident that you're fixing the right problem. You'll just, you'll go after it differently. We've um, been a huge advocate on this podcast of personal board of directors, the yes. idea that you you assemble people in your life that they know the position that they have and you look for diversity and you look for different ways of thinking and approaching and people that can be trusted. And those are the relationships that you culture over time that really help you, you know, make these types of decisions. So we've talked in the past about the times where an executive coach could be really ideal. And then other times where this personal board of directors might help you through, you know, some nuances of, you know, your career that you're going through or, or other um, episodes that, um, that they can be helpful. But take us through, Randy, a little bit of what does an ideal client coach relationship look like? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. First of all, I'm a huge fan of the board of directors concept. And I think a coach definitely has a seat at the table, but you need the others as well, for sure. But the ideal coach-client relationship, let me say, people may define it differently. The way I have seen it work best for my clients 
and I'm so in the moment, I, it's absolutely working best for me, is when there's a real partnership around helping the client achieve their goal. So it's helping them get clear on what that goal is, what that goal may need to be. That's how they may come to me is a little bit lost, but knowing they sort of need to figure this out in order to get back to that happy career place, if you will, or to get to the next step. I mean, that that discomfort they may be feeling may be a good thing because it may be them pushing their edge and, and getting into growth, and they may need some support to get through that to get to the next thing. But really, in the best situations, I as a coach, I have no vested interest in the decision that my client makes, which may sound funny, but I can think of a situation recently where a client had a great job and another opportunity came to them. So they were in a situation of trying to decide between a situation they knew was really good and a situation that had promised to be better, but was unknown. I have no vested interest in which decision the client makes. My focus is helping them be sure they're making the decision that's right for them. So for me, from my end, it's a practice in letting go of attachment and making sure I'm staying right there in the moment with the client and keeping their goals in mind. From the client's perspective, it's a safe space to be able to say the scary thing, to be able to ask the questions that they need to ask, to think through the bad options so they can get to the good options, that kind of thing. And I think the confidential nature of the discussion is really important because so much of my business now comes from word of mouth. I have clients that know one another. The fact that they, first of all, they're not going to hear from me that, that I'm even working with somebody they may know. They may hear it from the other person, but them knowing that it's a safe space, that everything we talk about stays within that container makes it okay for them to explore the scary thing, the, the thing they're not sure they can do, to, to give voice to that doubt that they may have so we can work through it. And they can do it in spite of the doubt. It's not about conquering your fear. It's about taking action in the face of it. It's about appreciating that maybe the fear is motivating in a way. And how do we take it on and how do we act in spite of that? So, so I think that confidential nature of the conversation, the safe space to talk about the stuff that's scary and the permission they give me to push them in the right ways, to ask the question that may help them to see the thing or lean into that fear or whatever is the case for them, I think is where the magic happens. And it's such a beautiful thing when that's there. And there have been times, Christine, when I haven't felt that connection, like the way I work my businesses, I do a, a complimentary session and we get a feel, we talk about what coaching is and isn't and their goals and we get a feel for each other. There have been a few times where I haven't felt that I'm the right person to help that person get where they need to be. And I have let them know and help them find a coach that might be right for them. So it starts from that very first meeting. And then I think it carries through from there. That makes a lot of sense. And so help us a little bit with the front end diagnosis. So I can put myself in my listeners right now. People are like, yes, I didn't realize that I might need one, but do I need a coach now? So we've gone through a few things. We've said, okay, you're hitting the snooze button a lot. It's really hard to kind of get up to, to do life and to do the career. 
there's an uncomfortableness to what you're doing. There's an itch that you just can't figure out where it is or, or, or how to scratch it. Or there's a huge opportunity in front of you. What other precipitous moments might compel you to look for a coach? Yeah, I, I look, you know, my bias is clear, but again, not because it's self-serving for my business that I am a coach, but it's really the opposite. I believe so much in coaching. That's the reason that I have a coaching business. Um, so I sort of give myself permission to lean into that and, and encourage it. I would say for a lot of people, you don't have to wait for that big, precipitous, you know, scary moment. If you're wondering whether a coach is right for you, whether you need a little bit of support, almost all coaches that I know do similar things to what I do, which is they'll offer a free get to know you session. So the investment is minimal. It's your time. There's no commitment beyond about 45 minutes of your time. And so I say, if you're even wondering whether it would benefit you, lean into that question and just invest a little bit of your time to figure out whether you think it's right. And don't just stop at the first one. Like even clients for whom we have a great connection and I can completely see the work we could do together to help them achieve their goal. And I really want them to become a client. I still recommend that they meet with two or three coaches so that they know they're making the best decision. I may be the first person they've spoken to. And so I think lean into that, make the contact. You will see possibilities in a different way when you're talking to somebody and then do the research to make sure you're selecting the right person. Christine, I tend to think of everything. I think part of it is my 30 years in business and now running my own business. So it's just a different approach as well as my MBA. I think of everything through a business lens and I think of coaching through a business lens too. You're making an investment. That first meeting is just your time, but if you make the commitment, it'll be your time and your money and your focus. So it's, you know, and the opportunity cost of that. There, there is an investment to be made. But if the payoff is there, like I have seen it, a couple of my clients now, I, I do mostly people in the corporate world, but I have one client who I adore. She is an entrepreneur. She has her own consulting business. She offers tremendous value. She invests a certain amount in having me as her coach. And we actually, on a quarterly basis, look at what that has done to benefit her business, to make sure she's getting enough of a return of, in that investment. And we don't have this agreement, but I can tell you my commitment to her is if we ever got, it's almost like when are we as a company in, or as a country in recession, two consecutive quarters of GDP you know, contraction, we would look at it the same way. If she had two consecutive quarters of business contraction or even just not growing enough to cover that investment, I would say we may need to look at our coaching relationship and see if it's still right for her. So I really look at it through a business perspective and I encourage people that are taking on coaching to do the same thing. Is the investment that you're making providing at least this level of return? I feel very confident that it will, but you won't know until you try. So you have to lean into it. You have to trust a little bit. And then you have to, I think, you have to have the checkpoints in place to make sure you're getting what you need to get out of it. Ooh, I really like so, that. Yeah, some people think that sounds a little cold in a way because I think of it so much as return on investment, but I just think it's realistic. Oh no, I think I think you're speaking to the right crowd on that one. Um, I think ROIs are are so important across our entire business. And the, and the most fixed resource we have is our time. 
time. You can always get more money. I mean, really, you can't. You can't get more time. That is so true. That is so true. So I, I love the idea of looking at coaching as an investment which I think we've said over and over on this podcast, both for the board of directors piece and executive coaching and mentoring, that it's an investment in your career. What we haven't done is sort of turned it around and said, now let's take a, a look at that return on that investment and assure that we are putting our investment of time in the right place. Really love it. I really also appreciate the fact that you're encouraging people to have a couple of conversations. I know a few months ago, I interviewed a few editors. Um, I'm a writer. And so was kind of branching out in sort of a, a, a different, more specialized uh, fiction writing area, doing sort of more Wall Street suspense. And so I, I really wanted someone to kind of come alongside me and say, does my plot have what it takes to take a reader through you know, a really suspenseful read? And I did. I ended up talking to four developmental editors to do, you know, a small piece of work with me. And actually, every conversation went really well. Mm -hmm. I really I enjoyed the conversations. People were really intelligent and insightful. And I just I knew I could work with every one of them. But there was one of them that absolutely stood out more so even because she gave me the hard news of some things that, you know, I would need to learn how to do well in order for my book to really be what it needed to be. And, and I loved getting that sort of tough feedback. So I ended up going with her and it wasn't because the other ones probably wouldn't have done a good job for me, but when you allow someone into a relationship like coaching or a relationship like editing, where, you know, you really are allowing a very strong voice in your life. I think having these conversations up front and, you know, being able to sort of compare and contrast a few is, is I think, a powerful way to go about it. Yeah, I, I, it's such what you've just described is such a great illustration. And I think it's it's absolutely what I encourage people to do. And in fact, it goes back to five years ago when I formed my coaching business, the values that I built that business on. And one of the things that I realized and look, I was fortunate I had done that risk analysis and taken a look at what did I need my business to provide for me and both to make it worthwhile, but also just in terms of just the hard numbers. And one of the things that I realized was I, I set a stand that I was never going to sell my services to a client. And I was never going to push for a client to sign with me because I needed a client. Like even in the beginning, when I was getting my first clients, I was very committed to that. And it was really important to me. Because if that fit isn't there, that spark that you described with that person that you met with, the coaching relationship isn't going to be as powerful. And if I really believe that, I have to support potential clients selecting another coach. And in fact, it's built into my business metrics. I know for these complimentary sessions that I mentioned I do, I know that I need to convert. Right now, I'm tracking my statistics my business model is built on converting about 50% of those. I'm actually performing more at a 75% rate now, which means I need to do fewer of them to keep my, my business where I need to be. So I track those things really carefully. But the reason that having those numbers top of mind is important to me is I don't anticipate that I'm going to convert 100% of those to clients. And because I plan for that, it really does make it okay for me to make the recommendation that's absolutely best for the client. 
if that's another coach, if that's taking a break before they start, whatever that is, I know I can go into this as a business owner, as a values-driven business owner, making the recommendation that's right for the client. And that allows me to run my business in a way that's aligned for me the way I always did in my first career until I didn't and needed to change. So I feel so privileged to have been able to set that up for myself in a way that completely serves me and my business, but I know serves my clients and potential clients. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And I think gives you a lot less pressure going into every conversation, right? And it is right for the client. Completely. Fantastic. I'm glancing at the clock and uh, we have to get to our last question. So, um, but I don't want to cut you off. Was there something else you wanted to add to that before? I? No, I'm excited. Let's get to the last question. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So as folks know, I'm a writer, a voracious reader. So um, give us a book to add to our virtual bookshelf. You know, it's such a classic. I don't know if it's going to add, it may reinforce for a lot of people, but if it's not on your list, man, add it. The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. It's one of those books that's always, it's not on the bookshelf that I keep behind my desk. It's on the stuff that I can see because it's just so beautifully written and it's got depth to it. I probably reread it every every year, every couple of years. And I always get something out of it I didn't get. And it's just, it's just so beautiful about knowing your meaning and following your destiny. And I think it would speak to people at so many different points of their lives. It's, it's just, you can tell how passionate I am about this book. I love it. Thank you for that. It's an older book. Um, and I know a number of us have read it. I have. And, um, so thank you for the reminder though, to keep it front of mind. And thank you, Randy, for being on the show today. Thank you for your wisdom, your insight, your passion for people. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide, on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.